0: Hey, sippin' studiers. If you're looking for a way to get more positive things going into your life, I'd encourage you to check out our friends at Christian Living Magazine. You can find out everything you need at ChristianLivingMag.com. Good morning, everybody. Hey, Bruno. All right, Bruno's already coming in. All right, hey guys. It is, man. I, if you're in the Boise area, you know what I'm talking about. It is cool. It is almost cold, like mid 40s uh, Fahrenheit. It's it's raining. It's well, I mean, I'm gonna, I was gonna say it's not a lovely day for a barbecue, but we actually have a barbecue later today. <laughs> so uh, it's going to be a lovely day for a barbecue. We're going to make it. We're going to make it a lovely day for a barbecue, right? That's how that works. Hey, good morning, guys. Guys, let's let's hop into this. This is going to be a good one. We are into chapter seven, so we're on the 14th study here in the book of James, or John. Wow, talking about starting to do a Bible study here at the house with the kids. We just finished the one we were doing and talking about going into the book of James. So now we're Currently here, we're doing the gospel according to John, and we are in chapter 7. It's the 14th lesson, and we are looking at the Feast of Booths. Let's just, let's get into this. We're going to go through this through the ESV translation like normal, so it's a a wonderful thing. Let's let's do this. This is John chapter 7, verses 1 to 24. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may also see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Then Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Those breaks into essentially two different spaces. We see verses 1 to 13, my time has not yet come, and 14 to 24, where he's teaching at the festival. Let's get into this. 1 and 2. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, keep in mind, typically, not always, but the vast majority of time we see in in John's writings when he says the Jews, that is a reference to Jewish leadership. That is a reference to the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin. They are looking for a reason to get rid of him. Right. They've seen him break the laws. Mm, Not really. That's the that's the fun part. He really hasn't. But they think he has <laughs> the, the man-made additions to um, they don't like what he's doing. And so they believe that he's breaking the laws and he's also leading people astray. And if you want a little bit of a Druish in- interpretation, he's starting to take away some of their control and some of their power by leading people in God's direction rather than in the Jewish authority direction. So I think it's a little bit of a, a power struggle. They 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 don't like losing power now that they have it or since they've had it for a very long time. Anyway. All right. Now the Jews the Jews feast of the booths or feast of booths was at hand, okay? So Jesus already knows what's coming. He knows the thoughts. He knows the motives, he knows what's going on and he knows what's coming. And he's waiting for his proper time to go and finish that, right? He knows it's not yet time for me to go and to be on the cross to, to finish my works here. And so he's waiting and being patient and, and showing that he's looking for God's time, Father's time, right? The Father's time, God's time. Because timing is important to God. It's not always just doing what, it, what we think we're supposed to do, but doing it at the right time. Okay, God sees the grand picture, and it's not just if you do this whenever for most things, right? Some things it's okay, right? But for some some of these bigger things, it's not just do it whenever, but do it at the right point so that it, it moves down the line. You get that domino effect. You flick that one tile over, and all of a sudden things start working properly, and there's so much that works together that it's really important that we do things in God's time. Okay, so he's watching for God's time. Now, this Feast of Booths. This is also known as the Tabernacles or the Feast of Tabernacles, but it's usually, if it's called Tabernacles, it's just called Tabernacles, usually. So if you're going through a different translation with this and you're seeing it's calling this Tabernacles, that's fine. It's the same thing, it's just a different term. Okay, but this is celebrating. Now, we did go over this in Nehemiah because there was actually. A bringing back of the Feast of Booths because it was something that had been lost and forgotten about and not celebrated for a long time at that point. And so that got brought back during Nehemiah's time. So we did that in the study of Nehemiah. If you're intrigued, take a listen to that. It's a good study. But this is the Tabernacles. Okay, celebrated two months prior to the Feast of Dedication and is usually in September or October. Okay, there's, there's variables. So it's usually September or October. People would build and live in booths made of reeds, right? They would actually just come down and build booths. And this was to remember God's faithfulness in the wilderness. Okay, so during the time in the wilderness, it's all about that. But it's also a celebration for the harvest. Okay, we can take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 13 to 15, to give us a little bit more of an idea of what this is. It says this, You shall keep the Feast of Booths seven days, when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast to the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose, because the Lord your God will bless you and all your produce, and in all the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. Okay, this is, that's why I kind of like the the term feast of booths, because it really is, it's a feast, it's a gigantic celebration. It's a week-long, gigantic celebration. So kind of a cool thing that's getting ready to happen here, right? Three to five. So keep that in mind. It's a gigantic celebration. Jesus is saying, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not going to go to the party. That's basically what he's saying. I'm not going to go to this week long party. Okay. Let's keep that in mind. Because when we have a tendency, at least, maybe it's me. Maybe it's just a me thing. But I, I have a tendency, at least, when we get into some of this stuff and we read these things, oh, it's a festival. It's a religious festival. It's, uh, man, that's going to be boring. No, this is a week long festival. Okay, there is a a difference between, keep in mind, also, this is something that's very important. There is a difference in Jewish tradition, in tradition, period. Let's just put it that way. There's a difference between gluttony and feasting. Like, this was a time when you could just way overdo. There was also a difference between just flat-out drunkenness and getting buzzed at this kind of an event because notice they were pulling from wine presses. And if you go in through other pieces of scripture, they even talk about if you can't, if you can't afford getting wine, you can also turn around and get hard alcohol. You can actually get hard liquor and at, at do these things for some of these celebrations. So getting this stuff was like a bypass for, in in a lot of these traditions, it was kind of a bypass. And it was one of these times where you could do a bit more than normal. And so some, a lot of people, liked that idea. And they would go all out on this. And so here you have this time. It's a gigantic weeklock celebration. And Jesus is getting ready to say, nah, not my time's not here yet. I'm, I'm going to pass on this one. Right. So let's let's get into that three to five. So his brothers said to him, now let's take a second there. Brothers. Now, if you go, if you're from a Catholic tradition, if you're from a Catholic tradition, the Catholics actually hold that Mary maintained her virginity throughout the remainder of her days. And so they believe that his brothers were more nephews, right? That they were more cousins—not nephews, excuse me—but her nephews. So they were his cousins. In a Protestant tradition, we don't hold that. We don't. We don't hold on to that. We actually see that there's enough evidence that most likely uh, uh, Mary and Joseph had kids, right? So they they had children. So. Most likely, these are his actual flesh and blood brothers, okay? So this is either siblings or cousins, irregardless, because even in the Catholic tradition, uh, Mary took care of many of these kids in their own house. So they were living and sleeping in the same house, okay? So these were the same people, grew up together, okay? His own family, his own flesh and blood. And so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also, may see the works are you doing. Let's put this into a context. Let me add a little uh, Druism into this to to enhance how this probably went down. Leave here and go to Judea. Your disciples may also see the works you're doing. Sir, no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. Hang on. If you do you do these things, if you do these things, this tells us. They haven't seen it. They don't believe him. They have not witnessed around him enough things that uh, that go far enough beyond the realm of normality to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, to recognize that he is the Christ, to see that, okay? So they haven't seen it. Jesus didn't do much. We had a little bit of an inkling early on um, <laughs> when uh, when they were trying to leave and they couldn't find Jesus, so they had to go back right? And he was teaching and the the teachers were, were marveled saying, how does he know so much as such a small boy? Other than a little bit like that, we don't have any evidence of Jesus doing anything outside of the normal. Anything outside of the normal until his ministry started to begin in his 30s. So don't feel bad if you're getting into your 30s or beyond 50s, 60s, doesn't matter it's okay. God's still going to use you and God is still planning on doing something with you. So you're, you're okay. Some of us just need a little extra time to train. It's fine. Right? All right. Five, for not even his brothers believed in him. So Jesus's own brothers did not believe that he was the Messiah directly says it in John chapter seven, verse five. Okay. Okay. This tells us a lot. Jesus did not perform miracles or signs or wonders prior to his ministry. And again, we have that mild indication of his childhood knowledge. But this really tells us, because that question, especially with the song, Mary, did you know? Yeah, I'm sure Mary had an idea. Uh, She was told by an angel. Hey, you're you're carrying the Savior of the world. She knew. (laughs) But did the brothers know? Apparently not. Apparently not. Jesus... Was not that, you know, there's there's the comic strips and some of the fun memes out there of infant Jesus walking on water and she's telling him to get down. These things, I mean, while humorous, they don't, they're not reality, okay? What we get through the word of God is Jesus maintained humanity up until his ministry, okay? He wanted to look like he was just a regular child up until then. Like, that's God's plan. That was God's plan, Waiting on God's timing. There's so much inside of this today that is about doing things in God's timing. Okay, so He didn't do things as a child that went beyond normal. Okay, now his brothers challenged him, saying, "If you do this stuff, right? You maybe you should do this uh, in front of your disciples." Okay, okay. He challenged. They challenged him in verse four. They just direct challenge him, and this is. I want to say borderline mocking Jesus, which we we can really take that as like, wow, that's really bad. But keep in mind, they're siblings. They're siblings. Of course they're gonna mock each other. That's what siblings do. If there wasn't that little tension and that little mockery and that little poke a bear moment, this wouldn't be normal. This wouldn't be life. We'd all be sitting here going, this feels like a story. This doesn't feel authentic, right? But guess what? This is authentic. This isn't just a story. This is real. This is authentic. So yeah, they're, they're poking the bear a little bit, trying to like, Hey, if you actually do the stuff you say you do, now's a good time. There's going to be a lot of people there, right? Now, again, something else to, to side note on this because most likely his brothers are going to be the same way. It wouldn't matter how much his parents said this. They're, they're going to hear it from everybody else and the cultural norms of the day and everything. The Jewish mentality is that they are waiting for a military leader. That is something that Jesus is very far from, right? Jesus is not a military leader, and that is really what they're looking for and what they're waiting for. So there's there's reasons why I could see that they, they would be saying things like, are you doing the things? Because that would be a great time. All right, 6 to 9. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Now, side note, this is the last note on the screen on this one, but audio people, you get it up front. In verse 8... I actually like this, and this is one of those things where I struggle. I don't want to go and pick and choose and and pull from this one and pull from that one because different manuscripts say—the manuscripts that tend to show this, where it says it adds the word yet in verse 8. You go up to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast. Okay, that's where they're adding this yet. It says, you go up to this feast. I am not going up to this feast— in that other translation, or it's not translation, excuse me, in the other manuscripts, because they're pulled from a different manuscript, um, it says, yet, I am not yet going up to this. Now, I personally like this edition, because without that yet, it almost seems as if Jesus is being deceptive. Here's the deal, though, and this is a language barrier, okay? This is a language issue, and this is why I think that they probably did add the word yet into this, but that it was actually appropriate for them to do so. And here's why. In the in the Greek and in also in Hebrew and Aramaic, this, so any of the languages which they were probably speaking to one another at the time, not just in the Greek writing of this, but as the actual siblings would go through this, and remind mind yourself, this is this is this is John telling a story of Jesus having a conversation with his brothers. Okay. So we got, a, there's a little leeway in this. But that being said, in the original languages, this is also an assumed. This isn't necessarily something to where, oh, well, they didn't just directly come out and say, yet. He just says, I'm not going up. In an English context, correct. In an English context, especially within a Western mentality, correct. He was not direct. In fact, he directly said, I'm not going. However, in the ancient context and in the cultural context of the day, this would have been assumed. Nobody misses this. This is a gigantic party, a gigantic feast. They're probably rolling their eyes like, okay, we'll see you later. Like This would be something that they knew that he was most likely going to show up for anyway right? Because this was a gigantic religious festival, a week-long religious ceremony and festival. And he's out there as a rabbi, as a teacher, okay? They know he's going to show up. This was not something to where Jesus is being deceptive and trying to lie, okay? So he, they, they are most likely very well aware he's going. Now let's dig in the other parts of this. Jesus said to them, "My time." has not yet come. With John, when we read this in John's writings, my time is almost always. In fact, it might actually be always. I'm just going to say off of safety, almost always. uh, Almost always with John's writing. When Jesus talks about his time, that is the time of completion, the time of fulfilling his works. Okay, We started this chapter finding out that we already know the Jews are looking to kill him. Now, as Jesus is saying, the time of completion is not at hand. That's basically what he's saying. My time, the time for the full manifestation of who Jesus is on the cross and through the resurrection is not here, has not come. And he says, Your time is always here. Now, this could be a couple different things. It could be a simple indication that their time to be with the people is whenever they want. Like you can go to this party anytime you want. Just go. It's fine. Your time's always here or or this could be an indication that their time to believe in Jesus and who he says he is as the messiah is at hand. Okay? Or is available at any time, right? You can believe me any time you're ready. Okay? You can believe me Anytime you're ready, which kind of goes for for the rest of us, right? When should one accept and follow Jesus? Always. Your time is always at hand to acknowledge who I am as Jesus, right? Not me, Drew, but Jesus. To acknowledge Jesus and to walk with Jesus. Okay, your time is always at hand. There's a few different things this could mean. And in the writing, it could be any number of things, but it just is. It's okay. Either way. It works and it probably is a dual meaning, so it's fine. Okay, the world cannot hate you talking to the brothers because the brothers are part of the world and don't believe Jesus is who he says he is. So at this point, they're effectively part of the world, right? They're part of the world. The world's not going to hate you because you're part of the world. Go and have fun. Okay, but the world hates me. Jesus is not of the world, but is bringing things back to God, and then he directly comes out and says, why? The world cannot hate you, hates me, because I testify about it, that its works are evil. Nobody likes someone, uh, maybe let's say it this way, nobody likes it when someone points out that they're doing wrong. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. Do, do we need it sometimes? Yes. It can build us up. It can help us go in another direction. It's not a bad thing per se. It's not always a great thing, but it's not a bad thing normally. And they, the world does not like that Jesus turns around and says, you have gone astray. Hey, sipping Studiers. As you may know, the family and I have been called into missions and are now officially missionaries to the church in Pakistan. Can't tell you how excited we are for this. It's a great opportunity, and we are so blessed for it. But if you've known anybody who's gone into missions, you know, can't do it on our own. We need people to be partnered with us, partnered in prayer, and yes, also in financial support. But there's so much more. If you feel God tugging at your heart, letting you know that he has a plan for you to make an impact in the church in Pakistan, we'd love for you to reach out to us and partner with us. you can do that and more at chogglobal.org slash dsbrown. That's chogglobal.org slash dsbrown, as in Drew and Sonny Brown. Now, back to the study. 10 to 13. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. And that's why I kind of like the adding of the word yet in in verse 8. It just kind of clarifies it. Was it in the original manuscripts and text? Uh, no, no. In fact, most likely not. Again, some manuscripts show it. Most do not. If it was added, it was added as a clarification and not trying to change the term or the the text, but as a clarification side note. That's why I kind of like it because sometimes we can use a little extra clarification. Okay, so he had gone up, but not publicly, but in private. The Jews, again, Jewish leadership, Sanhedrin council, their representatives, were looking for him at the feast, saying, "Where is he?" And there was much muttering. So whispering, people going behind the backs, like just talking, not openly, but in private. People were talking and muttering about him among the people. Okay. While some said he is a good man because they've seen what he's done. They like the things that he's doing. Others said, no, he's leading people astray because... He's changing the dynamic of the Jewish belief system. He's changing things and moving it from workspace. You have to follow the law to the nth degree. You have to do this. You have to do that. And remember, the Pharisees were very powerful in this council, right? The Pharisees, even though it's a really, really small group, they were had great influence. They were very powerful in this council. And they had even added extra things onto this. So, yeah, they definitely don't like it. They definitely don't like what's going on. So the other people are saying, no, he's leading people astray. And yet, again, for the fear, for fear of the Jews, the Jewish leadership, fear of, ooh, they're going to crack the whip. That's bad. No one spoke openly of him. OK, leading people astray. Again, some leader, uh, some Jewish literature also shows this. Right. So, yes, the Jewish council and some of the people didn't like that he was changing the dynamics. This is the way we've always done it. Wow, how many times do we hear that? Oh, we can't change that. This is the way it's always been done. We've always done it this way. Jesus is changing it, bringing it back, saying, "Well, you missed, you kind of missed the point. Kind of missed the point. Let's let's fix that. Let's get it back to what it actually is about. Uh, about almost went Canadian with a boot, a boat. Anyway, um, so yeah, you missed the point. Let's get it back to what it's supposed to be. But this is a common thread, and this is a common thing, and we even see that in some Jewish literature after Jesus not long after Jesus, so it would be actually pretty pretty close to the same time, but we see that in some of the Jewish literature, that they make similar remarks as they continue to deny Jesus as his, as the Messiah, right? Now, Jesus has basically become the elephant in the room. Everybody knows who this Jesus character is. He's changing things up. He's healing people. He's doing all these crazy things. He's fed somewhere between five and 15,000 people and then disappeared overnight. And then the people found him and across the sea. I mean, like, there's word is getting around about this Jesus guy, right? It's a good thing. Then we see him teaching at at the festival. Okay, fourteen to eighteen, about the middle of the feast, just Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. Now remember, actually, I this is again earlier. I believe this one also was in Nehemiah. So there's a couple touches here on the Nehemiah. Go back if you if you missed the Nehemiah. Uh, The Nehemiah series, I guess, would be a good term. If you missed that series, go back and check out the Nehemiah series. It's got a lot of great information in it. But inside the temples, there was an inner temple, and there was also the outer temple. And this was most likely in the outer temple. It's still within the gates, but people who weren't necessarily 100% Jewish by birth, um, they're allowed in there. So most likely, Jesus is, while he's Jewish by birth and everything. Don't get me wrong. He's speaking to a larger crowd. Most likely this is happening in the outer temple. Okay. So Jesus began his teaching. The Jews therefore marveled saying, now remember, this is the leadership. This is the Sanhedrin council representatives. They marveled saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Okay. Jesus, just like his disciples, did not have the formal rabbinic training and education. They didn't finish or go to school for this. And yet Jesus is speaking, one, as one with authority, which was not common for the day, and two, with direct and intimate knowledge of the Scriptures. Intimate knowledge of the Scriptures. Okay, let's finish this up really fast, and we'll, we'll read this Matthew, because we're going to get into Matthew just for a second here. Well, let's finish this, this section. So, Jesus answered them, "'My teaching is not mine, but who his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority.'" The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. There's no falsehood. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Hey okay, Jesus, not having the formal education, separated him from other teachers, where other teachers were trying to gain a name for themselves, to draw disciples to them, and to be remembered for their teaching. Emphasis on their, because there was this, oh, I studied under so-and-so. Who studied under so-and-so? Who was the one who taught such great things such as blah? That happened all the time. They wanted to have their name out there. They wanted to be known as one of the great teachers, okay? So these were trying to be remembered for that. Jesus was trying to bring people to an understanding of God and God's will. He was changing that. And and not having this formal education separated him from the other teachers. And for him to have such intimate and personal knowledge and understanding of these things was even blowing the... the Sanhedrin's representatives' minds—they couldn't understand this. They therefore they marveled, saying, "Mind blown, kind of moment, right? How is he? How does he know this? Well, he just does. He does because he's one hundred percent God and one hundred percent man. He knows these things because he's been since the beginning. Nineteen to twenty-four, which is kind of an odd thing to say." been there since the beginning because there really never was. God's eternal. He's never had a beginning or an end. He's just always been. So Jesus has always been. I guess that would be more appropriate than he's been there from the beginning. It's just a common saying, but yeah, he's always been. 19 to 24. Has not Moses given you the law? There's a jab. Moses gave them the law. Yeah. Yet none of you keeps the law because that's not the point. Jesus gives a hint that the law is not the saving grace, but, that, but it is that thing, it is that element that gives you knowledge of your own wrongdoing against God. Its whole purpose is for you to know that you need saving, that you have broken God's laws, that you have broken God's commands, that you need God to save you. It is not there for you to sit there and say, I've done all this stuff right. Look at me. I'm great. It is there so that you know that you have done wrong and that you need grace. Okay. Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. That's, that's a really kind of a... To us, it might be an odd way to approach this, but I, I think in that day and age and at that time, it was actually kind of a, a regular and somewhat appropriate response to somebody who's saying kind of wild things like, oh, he's got extra knowledge that he shouldn't have. Either he's a prophet, and in this case, the prophet, okay, the prophet, either he's the prophet or this man has a demon who is lying and deceiving and doing all these crazy things, Okay. You have a demon, and then why do you seek to kill me? Right? Why do you seek to kill me? And, and again, the the seeking to kill this is likely assumed assumed by some at this point because it's not really openly public knowledge yet that that is the plan, right? So it's assumed. So there, most of the people are probably legitimately confused by that. Who's what? What? Who's who's seeking to kill you? It's the leadership. Who's there? They might not even know, and that might be a legitimate wait. What? Or they might know, and it might be one of those who told you, right? Whoa! Who's seeking to kill you as they're looking around, saying, "Who? Who? Who let the cat out of the bag?" Now you have a demon. Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus actually hits on this, not necessarily in this direct instance. It was it was in a different instance, but we can read about it in Matthew with the "You have a demon." This was not unheard of. The people were, were saying, mm, Jesus must have a demon. We see this throughout a couple times. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 to 28. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, him being Jesus, and he healed him. So that man spoke and saw and all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? talking about, can this be the Messiah? Can this be the one who we've been waiting for, right? 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Beelzebub is a demonic entity. It is a demon. Uh, we want It's one of those hard things to where we say, "Do do we really know a name? Do we really have a name? Essentially, in ancient times, in Old Testament times, this was a different. This was a, a false god, and people would actually put up idols and poles to it and do sacrifices. And the people who worshipped this false god did really crazy things and really atrocious things, including human sacrifice and and all the likes. and And they had actually broken into the Jewish system, broken in, and and uh, so even a lot of the Jews started taking down um, taking down their their um, Man, I'm losing terms this morning anyway they were taking down things that were dedicated to God and we're we're building up um we're building up shrines and putting up Beelzebub poles and doing different types of worship and so they were were actually leaving the God of Israel they were leaving God and going towards uh Beelzebub so this was a really really bad bad false God this guy had a lot of power this demon and this demonic entity we can just say uh, had a lot of power and a lot of of control. And that name rings really, really loudly to most Jews, especially back in that time, because they knew the stories. They knew how big it was and how bad this was. Okay. There was actually one of the judges that went and dealt harshly with this. So anyway, so the, when the Pharisees are saying, this is only Beelzebub saying this false God, this demon is trying to break back into the Jewish system and he's trying to take over and he's going to try to have people worship him and try to take over again. And Jesus responds to this, okay? Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? I want to pause there for a second. I want to finish this, but there's so much here. It's so There's so much here. Jesus responds to the claim that he's Beelzebub. He's possessed probably by Beelzebub. Talking about Satan casting out Satan because Beelzebub being a most likely a different demon would be a demon and right would would be a different either fallen angel or a different demon altogether or anything saying this is not Satan that would even be a lesser than Satan if there is a hierarchy system which we assume there's a hierarchy system right and that because there there is with the angels and things of that nature, so it makes sense, they would maintain, right? So here we go. It's like, this would be even less. So why would Satan cast out Satan? That doesn't make sense, right? Evil to casting out evil when they're working for the same thing, when they're working together, that doesn't make sense. How can that How can that stand? Verse 27, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Hmm. Okay. But if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay? Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay, so Jesus actually spoke about that in a different time. So Jesus is not possessed by a demon, but that is a normal response to something crazy like this happening. Uh, not, not like this, but just the, wow, he's got intimate knowledge. Either he's the prophet or he's demon possessed. Either this is really, really good or really, really bad. (laughs) There's not much of a, it's, it's one or the other. It's one or the other. Okay. Okay. And then we get into his where it says, um, where are we at? 19 to 14. Sorry. You have a demon who's seeking to kill you. Jesus then answered, I did one work. I did one work and you marvel at it. That's verse 20. Most likely referring to the healing. Okay, the healing that we saw in chapter five, verses one to fifteen, you can you can read about that. I did one work, and you all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. Meaning Moses doesn't show up and actually circumcise, but he's also talking about the father Abraham. Okay, it comes from Abraham. Okay, anyway, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Now, Jewish tradition does not say that that men boys. Babies are circumcised on the Sabbath. It, they are circumcised on the eighth day. And what he's referring to here and what he's saying is it is on the eighth day regardless of what that day falls on. If that day falls on. So if they were born on a, is the Sabbath is technically Saturday. If they are born on Friday, oh no, excuse me, if they were born on the Sabbath, if they were born on Saturday, Saturday is day one, day two, Monday, three, four, five, six, seven. If then their circumcision day fell on the Sabbath, the circumcision was more important, and therefore they did the circumcision on the Sabbath regardless. That just happened. Even though it is technically a work, it is not technically a work. Because it is more important for that baby and that person to have the rule of God done to their life. So that overrules. Okay, that's what he's talking about. If you circumcise a man on a Sabbath, if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances but judge with right judgment. Again, this is why we say most likely the healing that we saw take place in chapter 5, first part of chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. Okay, the, this is known as the lesser to greater rule. A male was, again, to be circumcised on the eighth day. Regardless of the day, if it landed on the Sabbath, it was better to follow the rule of circumcision and and not count that as work. So if perfecting the one part of the body was more than okay, that it was actually legitimate. It was more than okay. It was actually fully legitimate and good to skip the Sabbath or not to skip it, but to do this on the Sabbath. How much more okay and legitimate should and would healing the whole body be? Jesus is basically coming at them and saying, use some logic. If God's saying, do this for the boy, How much more is God going to say, you healed my child during this time? This is good. This is a good thing. That's what he's saying with do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. It's like, use your minds. God gave you minds. Use them. All right, so what can we take away? There's a lot here. I know we kind of went all over the place with this one, but there's just that much here. We have to. We kind of get to do that. All right, so takeaway on this timing matters to God. That is something that, that we see throughout this. Timing matters to God. There are seasons, there are months, there are days, there are hours, there are minutes, there are seconds. God shows us time and time again that He does things in His timing. He sees everything and knows things, knows how things will work best. We must look for and follow His timing. It's really important. It really is. We also see at first, Jesus' own brothers didn't believe he was who he said he was. So don't worry. And don't strive for the world's acceptance of God's call on your life. Continue to follow God even if others struggle to understand. And I can tell you this firsthand. I can tell you this firsthand with what we're going through right now, preparing for this this mission to Pakistan. Guys, we are so excited for this mission. This is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And getting to know the people, it's been great. These people have a zeal for God that is astounding. It is amazing. And I hear at least weekly, sometimes daily, people wondering... Why are you so crazy? Why are you doing this? Why are you putting your life on the line? Why are you putting your family's life on the line to go and do this, to go and be there and to go to help? And again, you start hearing the, the culturally assumes of, you know, just going there to help a bunch of Muslims who want us to all die. Okay, granted, yeah, 95% of the country is Muslim. 5% is not. And we're actually going there to walk alongside and work with the church that's already there to help them continue to work and continue to maintain with God and to go through this together. So you're telling me if you're having a rough time and you're surrounded by people in a bad situation, you don't want help just because of the people who are surrounding you? Seriously? How does, how does that work? It doesn't make sense. So don't worry and strive for their acceptance, the world's acceptance. on God's calling your life. If God's calling you and you know God's calling you, continue to follow God, even if others struggle to understand that. It's more important to follow God than it is to follow people. Keep an eye on the big picture. If, if perfecting one part of the body is acceptable on the Sabbath, why wouldn't healing the whole body be? And even more so, right? God loves his creation. God loves his people. Okay? The law is there so that we know that we sin and we need Jesus. It's not there so that we can try to be perfect. We try to be perfect by trying to accept Jesus, accept God's call, and to live with God. Okay? Not by following rules, but by having that loving relationship with God and obeying. Obeying Him and His call. Okay? All right. And finally, the law is there for us to know—excuse me—to know we do wrong, not so that we can work our way to perfection and to God. Jesus is the only way. Strive to honor God, and part of honoring God is loving his creation. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those last two really work together, right? Father God, we want to thank you so much for today. Thank you for today, and thank you for this word. I ask that you, you touch us all with this, that you help and, and give us the strength and the courage to continue to move on, to follow this example that Jesus himself set for us knowing that it's, it's more important to love people and to honor you than to try to follow a, a list of rules. And I just ask that you be with us, that you bless us throughout this, and, and God, that you, you help us be a blessing to those around us, in the cities around us, in the state around us, in the nation around us, and in the world. God, we we don't want to limit you. We don't know what your plan is for us. It's really easy for us to, to have high hopes and, and dreams and expectations of I'm going to do great things, but then secretly on the inside, think that you'll, you'll never do anything. God, we don't want to limit you. If you have great plans, do those great plans and use us for those great plans. And if that great plan is me doing something that I don't want to do or I didn't think I wanted to do, you know what? Here I am. Send me. It's a good thing, and it's a good day. I thank you again. Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, guys. Thanks so much for, for joining us today. Again, it's, it's kind of uh, dark and dreary and rainy <laughs> and cold over here. So, hey, have a great rest of the weekend. We will talk to you all next time. God bless.